0: The Clayton County Police Department is hiring for a variety of positions, and we're reaching out to you first. We believe people who live in our community are the best people to serve our community. It's local people like you who kids can look up to, who families can trust you'll treat them as your own, who business owners recognize as someone with a real stake in a thriving Clayton County. This is why we want you. See our career opportunities and apply today at ClaytonPolice.com. My name is Tracy Ariel, and I am
1: Unapologetically Canadian. Hey, Tracy Ariel here, and uh, this is the second week of May 2021. Uh, And this has been the most challenging year for creative entrepreneurs. We are dealing with a global pandemic. Uh, we've got, got a lot of hope now because uh, everyone's been getting their vaccines. So I've got my first dose, second dose comes in July. Um, but we've also been seeing some pretty tragic uh, circumstances uh, with third and fourth waves and variants that uh, seem to be spreading much faster. So on the pandemic side, um, we're cautiously we have to be cautiously optimistic because we've been going through this for more than a year now and nothing works uh, better than making sure that you're doing exactly when you have a life worth meaning uh, purpose is a lot easier when you have hope too. so I think it's important to keep hopeful and uh, I'm certainly hoping to have just go to a restaurant with friends My uh, bucket list has become uh, particularly limited these days. It's like going to a restaurant with friends seems like the most exciting thing ever. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so hopefully that will happen soon. Uh, Also, this is uh, the time when you've finished your personal taxes and you still have until June 1st to do your business taxes. If you're a creative entrepreneur, you probably have a business, although maybe uh, both of them are tied up in one and then you're already done, congratulations to you. Um, I'm actually in that case for one of my businesses and uh, I've already finished the taxes the co-op has already finished our taxes and so I only have two more businesses to finish their taxes for uh, nonprofits and uh, uh, one of them is SafeEMF. Uh, we have a lawsuit coming up on Monday so this this season is particularly busy for that organization too it's a nonprofit um, trying to uh, inform people about um, electromagnetic fields Um, We also have, uh, I also have Notable Nonfiction, my uh, publishing company, which really hasn't started doing very much yet, Um, but I still have to claim my taxes because when you have a company, that's what you do. So those are things that I'm sure you're caught up with as well. There's some really exciting stuff this week in that uh, Danny Innie is giving away his book about online courses away for free. If you want to write, if you want to create an online course for your business. I highly recommend working with Danny and getting his book, which actually reads like a novel. It's almost like, uh, um, it's like the wealthy barber for online courses. It's a really fun novel, very casual. And, uh, I think it's a great read. Uh, I have a link for it so that you can get it for free for the next five days. If you're listening to this right away. Uh, and that's in the show notes. And last but not least, in the news section, uh, the copyright uh, law is currently under review again. And if you are a creative entrepreneur, you know that in 2012, the government made some incredibly bad. Actually, in 1997, they made some bad decisions about changing the copyright law. And then again, in 2012, they made them even worse. And we are now in a situation where creators actually uh, can have all of their rights taken away from them and uh, just by signing a stupid contract. Uh, I think it's time now for the Government of Canada to get really ambitious and start standing on the side of creators. I would like to encourage them to create two different kinds of copyright. The first one which would be a droit d'ata or author rights and that would be the one that would be the life of the author plus 20 years actually it should be plus 70 like the rest of the world um, and that way the author would control it and then they would create a copyright uh, which would be I guess uh, droit d'auteur. and in that case that would be no more than 30 years because if you can't take a crop product and monetize it in 30 years then automatically that copyright should go back to the original author and an author is Um, an individual somebody now the problem is now in since 19 sometime in the 1980s companies have been considered individuals under the law well copyright should just change that around and that you need to be a living human being to be a creator And so that that way, when you have a film that is made up by a collective of creators, or when you have a product that is made up by a company or a collective of companies, it's still the individuals within that company that are named and that hold the the term copyright. Now, if they are employees, then they can actually because the company might not exist after 30 years so they might they can just sign another co- contract which is an employment contract so if they're still an employment employee of that company after 30 years then that particular product still gets to be um, uh, promoted by the company um, this would be a good way of turning around some of the uh, multinational uh, corporate um, the negative ramifications uh, in natural corporations that we've had for companies and for um, individuals and take away and put the power back in the hands of living breathing individuals Um, so that's what i would like to encourage uh, the government of canada to do this week and if you agree with me then you can write to your mp or send a note to um, the industry minister and uh or Stephen guilbeau the uh, heritage minister and see if you can actually make this happen because it's a really important time to make your stand known when it comes to copyright. And uh, that's it for today. Uh, My interview this week is with the uh, wonderful Stefan Subkowiak. Stefan is the owner of uh, Permaculture Orchard here in Quebec and uh, he's been running that Permaculture orchard for decades now, and it's an extraordinary place. Um, we go apple picking. We're always members of the farm every year. Uh, but he does a lot of really cool training and he has some, uh, a fabulous YouTube channel that's getting a lot of attention now too. So I'll put links to those in the show notes as well, but enjoy my interview with Stefan now.
0: Hey Stefan, fabulous to see you again. Long time no see. This uh, virus has uh, made things a little bit difficult this year in terms of events and stuff, eh?
2: Yes, it has. Yes, it has.
0: Even though we live in the same neighborhood, <laughs> I haven't even seen you walk in the dog lately.
2: Uh, I walk in the same area as I go along the bike path. So,
0: ah, okay. The
2: dog loves to do the search for voles.
0: Ah, yeah. Well, there certainly are a lot of voles in the neighborhood, that's for sure. You should take them down to the greenhouse every now and then. We could use a bull hunter nearby.
2: (laughs) Well, I do. I go down that way too, but I just don't go inside the gates.
0: Ah, okay. Anyway, well, it's... uh, Anyway, so I guess we should start by talking about uh, what you've been doing this year with the pandemic. How has the farm been going on? I mean, you have... uh, Are you still Quebec's only permaculture farm?
2: I doubt it. I doubt it very much. I mean, there's a lot of people people have been interested. Yeah, a lot of people have been interested for years. And it's just maybe I'm kind of the most advanced one, but there is a lot of others. There's some nice examples. Uh, I don't know if anybody has bigger. There's certainly people who are planning or have started or are starting. But uh, that's it's all exactly what's the most important to do.
0: So can you talk a little bit about this uh, project of yours? I mean, you started it, uh, when you started it, it wasn't as well known as it is now. Permaculture itself wasn't even as well known in Canada.
2: Yeah, I guess it depends when you jumped into the bandwagon, if you like, because I started, I remember reading about it in 1990 at the Ecological Agriculture Project, the library at McGill, and I went, this is it this is I want to do this this is what I want to do this is great that was like you know it's it's one of these things that when you discover it or you take a course and you go oh my god we're going to change the world now yeah and so my reaction to that was 1990 Uh, and so by the time as you say the orchard you know there was a it's a process Mm -hmm. and I understand when people say yeah I'm thinking about doing it you know it's been five years and it's okay I was thinking about it for a long time yeah Uh, actually 90 I discovered permaculture we bought the farm in 93 but that was just the whole process of going through and taking a 4000 tree organic apple orchard which was a monoculture and doing that and to finally realize that yeah this doesn't it I mean, it works, but it doesn't work the way I hope it worked. It doesn't work as an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, 2006 we tore out most of it, and 2007 started to replant. Right. So it's been since, and even then, when I planted, it's like, look, you know, I am so late to the game. There are there's just so many people who have been doing this. It's not that I wanted to be Uh, first. I just figured, you know what? I just don't know who else, but there has got to be hundreds or thousands of people doing this. And it ended up. No, it wasn't. Uh, so that's <laughs> no, because it's it hard to, to
0: do. It takes time. And I mean, any kind of agriculture is hard as it is.
2: Any kind of project, period. Yeah. You know, to Which project? You, you want to start a podcast. Do you say, OK, I want to start a podcast? And you just Google how to start a podcast. OK, I'm starting today. <laughs> That's not likely. I mean, you just don't start on a dime. You can have the desire, but it still takes some effort. It takes some research. It takes some getting into it. Um, Actually, I didn't check. Are you recording? I am. Okay.
0: (laughs) (coughs) Yeah. So anyway, finally
2: got to it and finally got it done. uh, At least a part of it done. You know, it's not all done, but it's it's, uh, interesting enough part of it is done.
0: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your, um, basically, I, I love your whole grocery grocery aisle concept.
2: Uh, actually, it was really, uh, it was kind of an outsh- offshoot from having the uh, monoculture apple orchard. Because what I saw then, that made a lot of sense. An orchard isn't a bad idea. You know, people think, well, it's not, you know, it's straight rows. It doesn't have to be straight rows, but it was straight rows because you start off on a, rectangular backdrop you know the most lots are not some odd shapes they're rectangles, squares whatever and so it followed that pattern and it became a linear thing uh and the other thing was all the trees in a row were planted as the same tree which now i would say that's not a good thing but what is good about it was that because they're all the same they're all planted To harvest on the same date right which made a lot of sense and so the grocery store was just taking that idea and adapting it to many different species so trees shrubs and perennials and so on and the grocery store is just that we look to harvest in a 10-day window it doesn't always work that exactly because yeah there's a lot of work that needs to be done to know that that's the exact window but that's the idea that you pick in a you know in a couple of rows and that's what's in and the idea of grocery store is you're walking and you're not going to just take apples if apples are ready because in the same row you might have plums and pears yeah so you'll take apples but oh yeah the pears are ready too oh and, and oh these plums so you Go down to grocery store aisle and you get a whole cart full. That's the idea. Right. You yeah. know, you've, you've gotten a few cartfuls, So you know how it's easy to get wrapped up in, in getting it going.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I have a, I've actually, I find, I think uh, with this podcast, in addition to the headshot you send me, I'm going to put one of the apple shots that we have. I have quite a few fun shots from going because I've been a member of uh, Miracle Farms for many years now. And we, you know, the kids grew up there, actually. I have pictures of the kids actually with the ducks. <laughs> you know yep. you've had ducks you've had uh, sheep you've had uh, you've had all those sorts of things which uh, leads me to the question what's your favorite success story about operating your permaculture orchard
2: yeah well that's exactly what you said about being a member so my biggest success what I really thought wow this is this has really come of age <clears throat> was one of our members who had like a, a toddler just a toddler for little girl who was with them coming year after year. And so I saw the first year, I mean, they were, she couldn't barely walk yet and they were bringing her through the rows and so on. And year after year, you know, the little girl becomes a little girl. And finally, after about what, five, six years or so, when she was in first grade, uh, the school had, you know, we have all these go out and do apple picking, right? Cause it's yeah. just an orchard is just apples. So that's right. the whole idea. And so the little girl went and she came back that day and the mother asks her, so how was your day? And the little girl looks at her mother. She says, mommy, it was weird. There was just apples. (laughs) And I thought, Oh, wow. That is, that is the greatest accomplishment I can get is that little girl's idea of an orchard was absolutely what I'm aiming to do, was to make a monoculture seem weird, like this doesn't make sense. (laughs) No, This is not logical, it's it's weird. And that girl's (laughs) reaction was exactly what I'm aiming for, that, you know, yeah, monoculture is weird, it doesn't make sense. And so that was, to me, wow, that was... That was a lovely day. That time, I, I thought of that one. I went, "Wow, that is fantastic!"
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because she would have gone probably in the fall, right? And so yeah. things that are that are growing in the fall. I mean, what do you have growing at the farm uh, around that time in in a row of apples?
2: Just apples, yeah. <laughs>
0: So uh, it's uh, but you have flowers and you have, you know, and you go to Miracle Farms at that time of the year, you know, you might have some some black eyed Susans and you have uh, the, the you know, you tend to have a lot of butterflies around and, you know, uh, swallows and all sorts of things like That and it, whatever you go, we see tons of the different kinds of things. But on the other hand, what are what would you say the biggest failure has been? Because you've been doing it now since 1993. Yeah. I mind you from 93 to 2006, you were, you were you were building the traditional orchard. The real permaculture version has been since 2006, really. Yep. Although before that, you were still running an orchard, which is not easy to do.
2: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, uh, yeah, it wasn't mo- like I start, you know, thinking of it, I always say now it would have been far easier to have started with a scratch, you know, a, a blank slate. Right. If we yeah. had bought a place and it was just a field, that would have been way easier, but I wanted the idea of fruit trees because I thought, well, you know, I'll just mix it up and I'll, yeah, it wasn't that easy. Plus we, you know, we had sheep and when I had to say we had sheep, even before you came, we had hundred sheep at one point. Yeah. A so hundred sheep. There's nothing that's growing underneath other than grass and clover that, that will survive because the sheep will, and we had, we had quite a bit of shrubs starting, just naturalizing, growing. And within two years, it was gone. Like you could kick the shrubs over. Everything was, so sheep are great to control vegetation that you don't want, uh, especially shrubby stuff, but it's not a good way to replant and have sheep in there. So there is a, a sequencing of when you would put things, but definitely the most challenging Uh, And the the biggest failure I would just say is that I took so long to start. Like I can remember in 2000, I was ready to start. Like I wanted to start and it didn't happen till seven years later. Yeah. You know, I I mean, I knew I needed to change the orchard. I knew I had to, but that's why I say it would be easier to have started from scratch because scratch, then you just plant. But because I had an orchard, I had to now pull out this orchard and then replant. So it was a, a big added step. right right. Anyway, that to me, that failure, you know there is no failure, there's feedback, but I can now tell people that, yeah, you know what, start on an empty space. it's much easier. And it's just from experience. I, you know I did uh, I had a, f- a series this fall on my YouTube channel on the biggest mistakes. And when I started recording, I went, wow, there's a lot of mistakes. Yeah, more than one video, more than two videos. So I ended up with four videos on different mistakes because, and these were the biggest ones. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't all the mistakes because I couldn't even remember them all. (coughs) Usually I make them twice. So that's the other thing. And when I do it the third time, I go, okay, yeah, that was wrong because I did learn it. I forgot it. I did it again. I forgot it. And if you've been at it for 30 years, I find a lot of mistakes have about a 10 year memory span. And that's one of the reasons I started the YouTube Right, was and now I'm documenting me. it. People are watching and they can remind me that didn't you say that didn't work? And if I say something and I go, oh, you know, and I, I'm thinking of doing that and somebody will remember that. Didn't you say, you know, that that didn't work? And like what? Go, oh, what are the four mistakes on those? Oh gosh, I have one just on nursery mistakes because there was a lot of mistakes with the nursery. Uh, one on the design, so how we laid it out and so on, the mistakes involved in there. Uh, and then there were two others. You know, the only people who don't make mistakes are people who don't do anything. That's right. That's the only. <laughs> That's why, to me, there is no mistake. A mistake means you're just. You're doing something and you adjust and, and that's all there is to it. Like, yeah. well, I so, think the, the school system, sorry.
0: Sometimes mistakes are just because of timing, right? Sometimes something that yeah. didn't work before might work now, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like for example, uh, somebody asked me today, uh, would pawpaws work? And um, I said, well, if you're in an open area and you're planting an orchard, I wouldn't plant pawpaws if, unless you're really farther south. Right. Just because pawpaws don't tolerate that uh, open situation. They need some shade and they need the shelter. And Asian pears, we found, was the same. They never worked in the beginning, but they work much better now that they have protection from the other trees.
0: And so what, um, do you have tips for people who are starting other than starting yes. a
2: blank slate? Just start. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, it honestly, that's, you know, because I know that I, that's why I say start with two trios, mm-hmm. right? What's a trio? A trio is three trees. So you have two fruit trees and a nitrogen fixing tree or shrub. That's a trio. And if you double that, so you have two sets and there is a huge advantage to that because it's like, come on, six trees. That's nothing. I want to put in an orchard. Yes. You know, 16, how many trees are oh, maybe 200 will plant six This weekend, well, now it's a little late in our climate. But, you know, if it's the right time of year, just plant six trees this weekend as close to when you get excited. Because unless you do something, I always find that, uh, you know, an idea has with it a, a, a dose of energy. Yeah. And you learn something like I remember when you went through the permaculture course, you know, man, that that last day when you're finishing I mean, you have such a huge ball of energy to want to do something. Yeah. And with time, that ball kind of, you know, deflates. Yeah. And then when you go five years later, I want to do something. Well, now, you know, your ball of energy is kind of deflated. And now it's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) So that's why really. And if you have two trios, you've got the hardest part done. Right. Because I remember a a high school teacher used to say, you know, starting is 50% of the job done. And now with, you know, 40 years, uh, 50 years of seeing that in in action, it's absolutely true. Because if you started it when you could have started it, because there is a time you could start. It's not that big of a job. You could start. If you'd started then by now, which could is often two, three, five years later, well, you already, you'd be eating from the trees. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, those trees, they're producing like crazy already. <laughs> exactly. So that will be a motivator because a lot of times in the beginning, it's, it's not discouraging, but okay, the tree's there. Okay, it's growing, but nothing's happening. There's no flowers. There's no fruit in the tree yet. You know, you're just waiting and waiting and waiting till something happens. So just start. Very small, and that's a permaculture principle. You know, slow and, and and small is is the way to start. Yeah.
0: Well, and actually, one of the permaculture principles too is just to look around first, and, yeah. and 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 actually watch what's happening, and come up with your design based on what you actually see. And that's an interesting concept. I remember when we moved into our house, um, people kept telling us that. But there are certain things you want to do anyway. <laughs> So it's like, and, and I credit that permaculture course, actually, for uh, the work that we've done on the greenhouse, because that was, you know, it was much easier to get moving when you already know a bunch of people who are interested. So, and yeah, there yeah. weren't, they, they, you know, basically, as soon as you start get, getting a, an idea in your head, I mean, part of me at that, the time when we met, that was me building my Canadian life, you know, where you get to be outside in the summer and, and inside writing in the winter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you gotta be outside in the winter otherwise it's six months of the year you're, you're inside, <laughs> well, inside. Yeah, I've always cross-country skied
0: so it's not like I don't go outside in the winter but I, I just wanted a life that was designed to be the, more like the traditional you know farming type of life you know where you, you you're outside you're doing you're growing food you're being part of food and then you're and then you're inside being creative and you're, you've got some real creativity. In the last few years, you've been doing some fabulous videos. You've been doing some... Are you still doing your book? Is it coming along?
2: Yeah, actually, it's out of publishers in France now, because I've oh, got the French, the French version. It, they said it's about a year. Uh, and <laughs> I got around not having to write, which yeah! was my deal with them. I said, look, I'm interested uh, so what I gave them was I gave them the, the, the English manuscript. Right. I gave them uh, there was uh, there was some interviews I did that I said, you know, look, the stuff, the, you know, the, the information's there. Right. And uh, so she said, look, we'll do it as a translated from the book part, translated question and answer series part mm-hmm. and taking parts from videos and the film. <laughs> So I said, you know what, let's do that. And next summer, she'll have a photographer come by uh, through the season and take like, you know, one day in four times in the year for one day, just to document what they're trying to show. And I said, that's, that's, because you know me, if it comes down to me (laughs) writing, God, it's. I don't know, me in writing, I, I kind of remember a high school teacher who, when I thought I had written the best piece I ever wrote, like, you know, I, I sweated over that thing to write the, what I thought was the best writing I ever did. Mm-hmm. And she totally said, like, this is a piece of crap.
0: Oh, my gosh. What I, I
2: was <laughs> I was so deflated. I thought, What? This, if this is the best and this is crap, then I give up on writing. Like it's useless because uh, I just. Well, that's can't. a
0: future conversation because that's really, yeah. there's no way that that should be the final <laughs> thought of writing. That's like, that's not okay because everybody has a skill. Like it doesn't matter what, what you write, you pro, you have, there's a skill there. The worst writer I've ever read um, is also the best person in terms of dialogue. Because the reason that she wasn't a good writer is that she wrote so accurately what was happening that it, it was hard to pull the story from it. So there's always something you could start with that could've, she could have told you what you were good at.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and so I know now my style is more narration. Exactly. So for me to write, I, I wouldn't write now. I would, would dictate dictate it and transcribe yeah. and that and have somebody like you clean it up that's, yeah. that would be the easiest way because yeah. I can't, you know, I'm not organized. Like, don't ask me to organize all my thoughts. Uh, it's, you yeah, know, my yeah. son, my son does the same. When we try to do a video, he says, pops, you gotta be, you, you gotta have it organized. <laughs> yeah. what do you Organizing when, for <laughs> when you have the ideas dancing in your head, like, like a band, you know, going off all the time. It's yeah. not obvious.
0: Yeah, 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 You had
2: one more question.
0: I did because i this is this podcast is called Unapologetically Canadian. So I wanted to know, do you consider yourself Canadian and what does that mean to you?
2: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased to be Canadian actually. You know, I'm I'm first generation Canadian. Both mm-hmm. my parents came from Poland. And I think that's very well, you could almost you could literally say who isn't from somewhere at some point. Yeah. Like, Honestly, even the Native American, you know, the Native Americans or Native Canadians, uh, the Aborigines, uh, the Aboriginal people, they they weren't started here. Like they've been here the longest, but (laughs) they themselves came from somewhere like the origin of man was not on North American continent. And so it's just a question of, look, everybody's comes from somebody. It's a melting pot as is the U S the same thing. Um, and so we come from somewhere and that's, that's actually, I find it's, it's a big benefit because like my cultural background, um, uh, has shaped the way I think, you know, the reason for the farm partly is like some of my memories that are quite vivid is I remember our, our, uh, cold cellar, you know, man, in the fall time, it was packed there was enough food we always had like you could have had anything happen we had six months of food all the time this was because important? my pardon me
0: where was this uh,
2: in in the lower laurentians
0: oh lower laurentians that's why they, they came, came. Well, tell me a little bit about your history in terms of, you said you were well my parents
2: both came right after the war okay they both came on contracts that time the government was always looking for workers, they just needed people to work. So my father worked on the railroad for a year and cutting forest and my mother worked in, uh, um, in garments, uh, sewing and, and so on. Okay. So they both came. They both didn't know how to do that, but it was just they needed people who could work. And so they did that and they ended up both coming back to Montreal. They didn't know each other. They met in Montreal and uh, they both came from farming backgrounds in Poland. So they thought, well, we really don't want to live in the city. So uh, they found a place that was at the time kind of really in the boonies, you know. Uh, uh, but now so it's amazing. It, n- <laughs> no, not even that far. It was uh, it was east of Saint Jerome.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm but almost part of the city now. <laughs> exactly.
2: Now it's. Like I look, I, I've been by there a few times and it's like, this is a suburb now. Yeah, You know, people are, but at the time my sister got lost at one point in the forest because it was such a huge forest that you could get lost. And so it was, you know, really, and I can remember one day sitting there, my father said, you know, one day the city will be, will be reaching up to here. And it was like, That's impossible. Like that can't be, I couldn't imagine that. And, you know, in 60 years, just about it, it really has. It's amazing how sprawl happens anyway. um,
0: To be Canadian. Yeah. That's really what it means to me. Sorry. What what you said, what does it mean to you? It's yeah. It means,
2: you know, we come from all different backgrounds and I think that diversity is, is very important. We, we, excuse me yeah we're not <clears throat> it's the diversity that makes that you know Canadians think the way we do we know we're all super privileged like gosh yeah. and if we don't we need to be reminded that look this is an incredibly you know such an incredible country to live in uh, I was just answering somebody yesterday about um, I said yeah but they were talking about the, the tax situation in the U S and I said, yeah, but I said, you didn't, uh, you didn't factor in health insurance, which I said, you know, in the U S when you say health insurance, well, insurance means it just ensures that it's a hidden tax
0: yeah,
2: because it's, it's such a big cost. And they say, yeah, you know, our taxes are lower. I said, they only appear lower, but if you factor in what, your health insurance costs and, and the whole thing about, I mean, Canada is not about it's, it's only the U S that is not, you know, that still runs in a private system for profit for health. That's like, that doesn't make sense. Why does health care become a for-profit situation? Like their healthcare costs per person are more than double with all the G20 are. Yeah. So Anyway, that's one of the aspects, but we're definitely unapologetically Canadian and, and proud of it. That's for sure. Yeah, we're so fortunate.
0: Yeah, it uh, it's funny then you talk about diversity because your whole life is about diversity: diversity of crops, diversity of people, diversity in in, in lifestyle. I mean, it's really uh, yeah. it's been a privilege to uh, to be working with you for so many years. It's really a, uh, I really appreciate it. Was there anything that I didn't talk that we didn't talk about that you really wanted to mention?
2: Uh, no, I don't want to open another can of worms because there's so many things we could go into. <laughs> no, that's,
0: I, I, that's all well. Right. We I, actually,
2: time. I'm, I'm kind of curious on your, you know, cheminement. I don't know what your what would that be. What's your uh, your roadmap? How you like you got into permaculture, living in the city, mm-hmm. and you know how did that come about? Because you also got into this and went down a rabbit hole. That
0: <laughs> well, my my like I said, the the first part of it was um, more of an ecological idea. Um, I was getting involved locally on ecological projects and trying to do a garden at the church and all sorts of things. Basically, trying to expand ecology and diversity around me. And I really um, like you. I have a value of making sure that there is diversity around me and that includes diversity of plants because I think we don't have enough greenery in the city and we don't have enough food for sure and and it's just important so uh, permaculture sort of got me a chance to do both of those things which is create a life which is Canadian in that the outdoors is not just part of my um, recreational activities but it's also part of my work activities I wanted to combine them and then uh, that sort of led to the greenhouse project where we're, we took this old, because I also believe that heritage buildings should be kind of continually used. And so it was being used for, green, for blue boxes at the time. And now it's full of, of plants. And um, we're taking our aquaponic system and hopefully moving it outdoors so that we can put a community garden inside too. So people who actually, members who want to have indoor space can actually have indoor space. So, and then um, that's part of what this podcast is about, too. Like, what does it mean to be Canadian? Each one of us has our own um, definition of that. And, and I think that that actually connects us. It's like the live local and then be global. Unless you actually appreciate where you are and what you're doing as a lo- in your, wherever you live, it's really hard to be, um, to be really active in the international world. You know, I know a lot more about uh, the international treaties because I'm a writer and I care about copyright and all these things that actually go to international meetings. If you are um, a permaculture person, you know that there is a world ecology that has to be protected. So everything, if you can be really local, then you don't have a choice but to have a bigger vision. So that's sort of why. (laughs) that's what that's my aim so that's why I talk to everybody about that's why I want to explore Canadian identity is what because I like we've you know you I I didn't know how this interview was going to go even though I've known you for years but it's just interesting that it turned into you know this huge value of diversity you know, we've never talked about why you're Canadian. We've never even talked about the fact that you, whether you, I didn't know because we live in Quebec. So I don't always get yes as an answer to that question.
2: <laughs> yeah. And
0: sometimes, sometimes when people are not Canadian, they, or they don't consider themselves Canadian, they have fascinating answers too.
2: Yeah. Oh. And it doesn't mean because you're born, yes, you're born here, you're Canadian. Uh, but like my parents weren't born here, but boy, they were definitely, you know, very happy um, to be Canadian. They realized having gone through the war, they realized, wow, this is such a privileged, you know, so what we have here is incredible, incredible. And I I do feel sad when people criticize a lot. Uh, It's like, just travel a little bit, you know, just go outside, you know, get your bearings in whatever field you're in and see that we, we have a lot going for us here. I mean, when I go to Europe, this year is the first year in seven years, I haven't gone to Europe for a tour. And when I speak in Europe, people don't grasp how big Canada is like,
0: you no. They (laughs) they just don't
2: Like I I usually say a joke uh, Because yeah if we're Canadian We know what a forest is And so I say Yeah but you don't have any forests in Europe Everybody gets like What? (laughs) I said no you don't have forests I said where could you go That you could walk for a week And not see another person And really know that you're totally lost Oh well, maybe, you know, they're all thinking there might be a place. Uh, yeah, I said, come on. I said, we. I could go a, an hour, you'd say an hour north of us, and there's a good chance that yeah, I might hit a logging road, but I don't know which way to go. And look, that's forest. If I go two two hours north, then yeah, I could travel for a, two months and you know be totally lost.
0: Yeah. So. Well, I- you talk about the Trans-Canada Highway, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because there are sections of the highway that weren't built for about 30 years. And after the actual highway was officially opened because it took them <laughs> that long to engineer the, the, the potential of, of getting across various crevices and, and you know, through various uh, forests, you know. And
2: they give you lots of warning, you better get gas because there's no <laughs> gas station for 150 <laughs> miles
0: yeah 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 yeah. some of the some of the uh across uh, because i've done a lot of hiking across um across between manitoba and ontario and man that that road that the 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 highway in that area is desolate (laughs) it's like rocks trees and and that's it
2: (laughs) i went through it in a snowstorm oh no i was driving to i was driving to manitoba for i i worked in manitoba twice and uh, it was the biggest snowstorm of the year. It was middle of April and it was the biggest snow. Like, it was Tulips were blooming in Montreal and I headed that way. And as I was driving, it's like, hmm, you hit North Bay and you go, wow, the rivers are really swollen. It's flood stage. So yeah. there's lots of snow melting. And then you get to Kappa's casing <laughs> and there was three feet of snow on the ground. I said, it's middle of April. Like when does <laughs> snow leave here? And that's when I hit the start of the snowstorm. Oh, no. And as I was driving through, they kept announcing Canada is closed, that whatever. And I'm thinking, I just went through there 20 oh. minutes ago. And <laughs> oh, so no. I drove through the snowstorm for 10 hours. Oh God. When I stopped, I was basically locked like this.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Like I
2: yeah. remember getting out. And sitting in a truck stop and I sat down and I was kind of like, I couldn't even put my hands down to put, you know, to eat. I was because it's so mesmerizing, the snow going over the hood for 10 hours. So, yeah, I fell asleep to
0: survive that.
2: Yeah, because I did some stupid things. I passed a snowplow at one point. I thought, wow, that was dumb. That was really dumb. You know,
0: it's funny how uh, you always know these things are stupid after you do them.
2: Oh. Well, you're 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 in a trance. You're just like mesmerized for following something for an hour that you don't you think, okay. I think this is a good chance. But you know, you can't see anything past the snowplow. Yeah. And so I thought, yeah, that was dumb. If there was a truck coming, I was toast. You know, just just Jeez. anyway. Well, hopefully, I'm anyway, I'm, I'm just glad,
0: glad you survived. Thank you very much for your time. I love uh, I love speaking with you. It's always great.
1: At Apologetically Canadian. This week is brought to you by Co-op Co's. Uh, we create communities to help people live locally. If you want to buy local, if you want to cook, or if you want to grow your own food. Uh, You want to partner with Co-Op Co's, and our crowdfunding campaign is on right now. Experience the Jared difference.
0: The best prices on an amazing selection. Select your diamond gift today from hundreds
1: of styles they're sure to love. Jared. Jared. Love brilliantly.